I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 44. pray you have your Bible. We need to stay anchored in God's Word, amen, as the followers of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I'm really excited to share the Word of God today. I don't know, something about uh, January 1st is kind of getting to me this year. Even though I have to admit, I went to bed about uh, 11.45 last night. (laughs) According to this statement by Jesus, none of us can save a soul. I have no problem with that, right? None of us, you know, he's talking about being raised up on the last day. That means somebody's been saved from death and saved from the penalty of sin. And no man can do that. The Father has to draw someone to Jesus for that person to be saved. And in fact, all of us working together cannot save one soul. A church cannot save one soul. A rite or a ritual cannot save a soul. A decision by a human being to walk down the aisle and kneel at the altar cannot save a soul. Only God can save a soul. The salvation of a soul is not accomplished by the will of man. It is accomplished by the hand of God. All the Christians and the angels put together in a marvelous team cannot save a soul. There is only one who can save a soul, and that is God. God the Father has a part in that. He draws a person to Jesus Christ. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has a part in that. His sacrifice pays the price And his life and teaching give us faith to accept what he has done. And God the Holy Spirit has a part because God the Holy Spirit actuates the new birth, the new start that Brother Ben was referring to just a a few moments ago. So the Godhead is all involved in the salvation of a soul. The Father is involved in drawing the soul to Jesus. Jesus is involved in creating and explaining the gospel. The Holy Spirit is involved in actuating the new birth. But a human being cannot do any of that. A little less than a year ago, in February of 2022, I shared a message with you called The Heart of a Soul Winner. That was part one. Today is part two. Brother Ben kind of dissed New Year's resolutions. Rightly so. 
but you still might make one in fun. You still might make one because you know you've got to get your act together in some area of your life. Or, or you, make a re- you might make a New Year's resolution because you want to have renewed and invigorated determination to check off that thing on your bucket list. I feel invigorated today. How about you? A New Year's resolution may invigorate you. Well, I'll tell you, as we're making New Year's resolutions, the Lord wants a piece. He wants a piece of that. He doesn't want to be forgotten. Let me ask you, is your life all about Jesus? His life was all about us and the Father, the Father's will, God's will. Is your life all about Jesus? Because that's the way God wants it to be. I would say, before the Lord, that the same as he talked to many, most of the churches, the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, we read about that in chapters 2 and 3. And for most of the churches in Asia, he said, uh, you're doing very well on this and that. And he would name one, two, three things that the each of these local churches in seven cities of, of uh, Asia were uh, doing some things right and some things well. And then the Lord said to most of them, nevertheless, there was this nevertheless, and that would, ooh, nevertheless, I, I wish that wasn't there. I think the Church of Philadelphia, the Lord doesn't have any criticisms of them. No criticisms of one of the seven. All of the other Seven had uh, uh, some, some nevertheless or something that they needed to work on. Could we imagine that Living Word Church, in our 50th year now as a church, that the Lord would not have any nevertheless for us? Well, the Lord says to these churches, I I like these things, but you've got some work to do on these other things. And when it comes to that, those other things, you've got to overcome. You've got to be bigger than that challenge. You've got to make it through, over, around, under those barriers to your success in this particular area. You've got to overcome, and I'll give you an awesome reward. I believe that the Lord has a very weighty concern for our church, and I've shared it with you in the past, and today I'll share it with you again, and I have a very simple message for you, a simple and brief message, and that is that we as a church, as Living Word Church, are nevertheless, I believe, is that we're not making disciples as often and as much as the Lord would like. And I've brought this to your attention. I've been putting the spotlight on it for over a year. And I think we're improving. Praise God. And I think we have a ways to go as well. 
There were some years, we went through some years, where we didn't have a single adult from outside of the church baptism. In the year 2022, we had seven. It may seem crass to you to count seven. Okay, let me put it this way then. We had a few in the year 2022. And I think we're improving, and I think we have a ways to go. I think this is going to really stretch us in the long run. It's going to challenge us and frustrate us sometimes. And we've got to be big about it, and we've got to overcome. We may have to wrestle with this a bit. We may have to wrestle with our lifestyle, our habits, our ways, our philosophy, our theology, our way of thinking. Winning souls um, is one way that we, uh, it's one terminology that we put on making disciples. We say we want to win souls. Well, I have to tell you that winning souls, the concept winning souls is is, uh, verbalized exactly one time in the Bible. One time in kind of an obscure place, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, it's verse 30. He that winneth souls is wise. That's the only time in the Bible where uh, making disciples unto the Lord is put in the terms winning souls. But we use the term a lot. The Bible uses it once. We picked up on that and we use it a lot. But I just want to remind you that Jesus did not speak of winning souls. The Gospels never speak of winning souls. Paul, Peter, James, uh, John, Jude, none of them speak of winning souls. And because of the loaded importance of winning in our American culture, We are competitors in our culture. In the free market economy, where our our recreations are so often games that have winners and losers, and so much attention is given to competition, trophies, titles, championships, winning, climbing, achieving. Winning is so important in our culture I think we should be very careful about using the word win. Because Jesus tells us to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is. Make disciples. It's God's achievement, not ours. God is the winner. We're not the winner. Come to Christ is our message. And we lead people to Christ and to follow them. We make disciples by saying follow. Uh, I gave 
a little over a year ago the challenge to home fellowships that each of them would bring two unchurched people into the church. And I use the term very carefully. I'm a, a somewhat of a linguist, and I'm a word guy, and I choose my words very carefully. And I've said, bring to each home fellowship, bring two unchurched people into the church. So when I say unchurched people, that would include people who confess Christ, but are not members of any church, and they're not committed to any congregation, and they're not, they're not really serving the Lord in a full experience because they're, they're kind of lone rangers and doing it on their own. And I remember the word that Brother Don shared, there's no such thing as a lone ranger sheep. Sheep are, by definition, part of a flock. And I want to encourage all of you not to whine and say, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's too hard to win souls. For each home fellowship to win two souls and the, uh, to Christ in a year or to make disciples so that people come and they want to learn and they want to follow and they decide they want to learn of Jesus and study and read the Bible and pray for God's help. Now we're talking about somebody who is becoming a disciple and they're becoming a follower of Jesus. And uh, quite a few of the home fellowships have accomplished that goal, and quite a few have not. And that probably means that the goal is a good goal for us right now. Uh, we, want, we want a goal that's uh, going to ha- have us reach. Have us reaching. Um, and if we're all accomplishing it, well, then our goal should be a little higher, probably. Whenever the Lord wants us to make a change, it's going to be very challenging. And we have to overcome. And the Lord spoke to the seven churches of Asia, and he told all seven of them, you have to overcome. There will be challenges. We have to overcome all the ungodly and the unrighteous things that have reduced our capacity to make disciples to Christ. Jesus commands us to make disciples. A a much more common on-the-street word for disciple is student. A student matriculates. A student joins the school. Becomes a committed member at the school where the student learns. As a learner, it's quite a bit different than getting someone to say the sinner's prayer with you. Okay? In, in reducing our concept of making disciples to winning souls has the danger of making reciting the sinner's prayer, the, the goal of witnessing, and make us feel like, there, we did it. There, I won. 
I won. I won a soul because I got somebody by hook or by crook, by persuasion or the bum's rush, to say the sinner's prayer with me. Of course, I said most of it. And they said amen once in a while. Is that making a disciple, a student, a learner? A disciple is in for a longer haul than a minute or two of praying. And we are challenged to make disciples. Some of you, as I said about a year ago, have not led someone to Christ in years And quite a lot of you have never done it in your whole Christian experience. You've never led a soul to Christ and had somebody who was not a student of Christ, not a learner, not a committed student, not a committed learner, and they became one, and they started learning of Christ, reading their Bibles, praying for God's help, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, some of you have never done that in your entire Christian experience. That's not, that's not a good thing, is it? Now, it can be very challenging to do that. It's not easy to come across this person who is going to be interested in becoming a student of Jesus Christ. We understand it's, a, it's quite a challenge. And we can point, I, I am sharing with you from my heart, aren't I? You see, I'm not just reading notes and notes. I'm sharing with you from my heart. Churches all across America, according to pollsters like the Barna Group, Christian pollsters, are having trouble winning souls to Christ. This is, this is going on all over the country, and this is going on in churches all over the place. I don't really care about churches all over the place. I don't really find an excuse in the fact that other churches are having a hard time with that. The only church I'm concerned about is this one right here. And I believe that we can do better. We have been doing better, we have been improving, and we can continue to improve more. God wants his peace. Let's be invigorated by the challenge. Let's be encouraged and encourage one another. Turn to Acts 2.47. Let's look at Acts 2.47b. It says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Look who did it. The Lord. The Lord did it. You didn't do it. They didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. John didn't do it. The Lord did it. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We, I, I have gotten some pushback from saying each home fellowship uh, bring two unchurched people into the, into the church. Oh, now we have quotas? Oh, now we have expectations and measurements? Wait a minute. The ones who are saying that haven't won 
a soul to Christ in years or maybe ever. They lose their credibility when that's the case. It's challenging. I know it's challenging. But I'm telling you, praying on Sunday nights is helping a lot. Hallelujah! It's so encouraging. And it gives us, it gives us fire and invigorates us. As well as gets the Holy Ghost working in people's lives that we know. Amen? In this verse, uh, Acts 2.47, at the end of it, the word Lord refers to the whole Godhead. He does it. When a soul is added to the church, thank the Lord. Thank the Father who draws somebody to Jesus. Thank Jesus who paid the price and gave us through his life and teachings an understanding of the gospel. And thank the Holy Spirit for actuating the new birth. Where does that leave us? Where do we fit in? Do we matter? God must do his part. And we have a pretty good idea at Living Word Church that we have a part to do too. As limited as we are, as dependent on God as we are, we also have a part. Our part is to be the vessel by which the Father draws, the vessel by which the Jesus gospel is known and gives faith to people, Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God and who's going to hear unless the preacher is sent. And we will be the vessel by which the spirit of God is brought into a situation, is brought into somebody's life situation. We've got to ask folks, how can I help you? How can I help you? We've got to ask folks, How's your day going? In short, our place is to be used by the Lord. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. In Matthew 16, 17, we're very familiar with how Jesus confesses that or I'm sorry, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed art those, thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That's the only way somebody comes to the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the Savior. That is that God reveals it to that person. So you will, you will give the gospel, but it's going to require God to use your words to draw somebody into the kingdom and reveal who Jesus is to them, right? Whoever comes to realize that Jesus is the one and the only chosen one of God knows that he knows because of the work of God in his or her life. 
John 4, 2 says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. When somebody confesses the Lord Jesus Christ, more than reciting a religious creed, it's more than saying some words. This confession of faith in God will make, it, will make itself clear in a faith-filled way of life. A saved person will appear God-owned. This confessing person is of God. Not of a church, not of a man, not of a religion, not of a recitation, not of a recited prayer, not of a ritual, not of a school. This person is of God. Hallelujah. God has done it. That thing which no human being, no group of human beings, no institution of human devising could ever do. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.13? And let's take a little time to kind of uh, meditate on this passage in 2 Corinthians, and that's where we'll close for today. I'm going to be using the New International Version here because I'm going to go through a good-sized passage. 2 Corinthians 5.13 in the New International Version, it says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Anybody ever think you're crazy because you're as devoted as you are to Jesus because you go to church as much as you do? Because you think about Jesus as much as you do? Because you're as concerned as you are about obeying him? Did somebody ever think you're out of your mind? You're in great company. What a blessing to be in the same company as the Apostle Paul. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. I'm talking this morning about the heart of a soul winner. The heart of a soul winner is compelled by Christ's love. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is talking about a... a, radical change in the person who comes to Christ, whereas they no longer live for themselves? Wow! Verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Well, I see that human beings are very active in this ministry of reconciliation, and they have an important part. They have a message. They're ambassadors. But I also see that the real work, the heavy lifting, is done by God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Brother Ben, when people clap, when people say amen, when people say, yeah, brother, preach it, does it distract you? Me either. It helps you. Wow. (laughs) Oh, same. Verse 13. I'm talking about the heart of a soul winner. The heart of a soul winner is not going to be worldly. The heart of a soul winner is not going to have a worldly perspective that worries about such things as whether people will view us with admiration. The heart of a soul winner is God's heart. It may appear to an unbeliever that the soul winner is out of his mind. The soul winner is not out of his mind. His mind is united with God's mind. The soul winner is more heart than mind. But not a bleeding heart of exaggerated sympathy that just wants to give presence. We've given a lot of presence as a church in the year 2022. We've given a lot of clothes, and we've given a lot of food, and we've given cookies, and we've given cards. And our heart bleeds for those who are needy. But better they suffer in this world and cross the death line and go into eternal bliss and eternal blessing with God in heaven forever... And believe me, they will forget their sufferings in this world. Our gifts are band-aids. They need heart surgery. A noble heart that thinks God's hearts. Verse 14, the soul winner's heart is compelled by the love of Christ. Verse 16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We once explained spiritual things with a secular perspective, with psychology. Oh, Christians have had a psychological experience. And the church is a, uh, a group think. 
And the church is a comforting community. Well, I find my comforting community at the tavern. That's the way we thought from a secular perspective. Psychology, anthropology, economics, pragmatism. Christ was explained as a cultural phenomenon. Maybe as a psychological phenomenon. Maybe as a sort of literature that you could study and be inspired by. Maybe as a historical phenomenon. I was at the center of our thoughts. Secondarily, he with a capital H. Christ, she, it. I was at the center of our self-made stories, but when we come to Christ, we think differently. God is the protagonist of the story. He is at the center. He is the hero. In heaven, they say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's He's the hero of heaven. He is the overcomer. He is the worker. God is the struggler, if you will. Boy, we have given him quite a struggle, haven't we? Our lives are only measured by how they stand in relationship to him. All things are made by him, through him, for him. When we come to Christ, we change our view of Jesus. He is the story's main character. We change our view of ourselves. My story is only so valuable as as it is touched by his story. To God be the glory. We change our view of other people. Our first concern becomes, are you complete? Are you spiritually alive? Every person we meet, are you a saint or are you an ain't? Are you in or are you out? It becomes becomes the number one thing that we're concerned about, doesn't it? It should be, my brothers and sisters. I'm talking about the heart of a soul winner this morning. Verse 18. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry the ministry of reconciliation. So, uh, so much has changed in our perspective on life, our perspective on ourselves when we've come to Christ, our perspective on other people, our place in the world. This is God that has done this. This is of God. This is the work of God in our hearts. God adds to the church. God saves souls. God the Father drew us. Amen? The Jesus gospel informed our minds and our hearts. The Spirit actuated a new birth in us. This is what God did. God does this. Verse 19a It says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is almost incomprehensible. This is like backwards, according to our secular thinking. In our secular thinking, it's the person who has offended someone else who must take responsibility for reconciliation. The offender has to ask for forgiveness 
has to make it right, perhaps. The person who did the offending, that would be us, who offended God, should take the initiative in order to be reconciled to the one that we offended. But as is so often the case with the Lord, he does it backwards in a, in a, in a way that is so unexpected. He's the one that was offended. He's the one we upset. He's the one that had every reason to be angry. And he's also the one who took initiative to reconcile. Glory to his name. Praise his holy name. Backwards of the way we look at it. Proverbs 18.19 says, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. All right, this is a metaphor for how to win somebody who you have offended. You have offended someone. It's like overtaking a fortified city. How did, there were fortified cities back in the Bible days. How did they take them? What they did is they surrounded them. They laid siege to them. Right? And they said, in effect, we are not leaving until you open your door. Not leaving. Open your door. Open your gate. No, we're not opening our gate. We don't like you. We're not leaving. We're not leaving this week. We're not leaving this month. We're not leaving this year. We'll stay here as long as it takes until you open your barred windows and put down your gate. Open your gate to us. By the way, this is great advice if you have offended someone and you want to reconcile with them, you're just going to have to have a no-quit attitude about it. You're going to have to hang in there and communicate clearly, effectively, and repeatedly that you are not giving up. You want forgiveness. You want to be reconciled to the person you have offended. Our natural tendency is to shy away from the person we've offended, to hide from the person we've offended because of our shame. If you want to get to somebody that you have offended, they're going to be harder to win than a walled city. But walled cities can be won by persistence and by never quitting. But we're not the wronged ones. God was the wronged one. And he has not received the honor that he's due. He has not been appreciated and loved as as is due. He's not closing the gates, though. He's not barring the windows. He's come to us, died for us. His blood washes us clean of offense. The Father draws. The Son creates the gospel. The Spirit actuates the new birth. A soul cannot be saved apart from the work of God. But we don't become insignificant. Verses 19b through 20 says, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is not peace between you and me. That is peace between you and God. We are co-laborers with God. The heart of a soul winner is the heart that is given to God. When you have God's heart, you will find that you're not desperate for a certain job, a certain boat, recognition by your peers, money, not even good health, or one more breath. You're not desperate for any of those things. You're not desperate for a spouse. God's heart is desperate to win souls, disciples, students, learners. Maybe we think that God being desperate for souls is too strong of language for God, that that God would not be desperate for anything, anything, because he's God. But I want to say to you to look at Jesus on the night of his arrest. Look at the mockery that they put him through before an illegal tribunal. Look at the stripes they laid on his back and the crown of thorns they put on his head. Look at the blood running down the wooden beam on which they nailed his pitiful body. Look at him taking his last labored breath on the cross. Look at them lowering Christ's limp body down from the cross to transport it to a borrowed grave. And tell me that God is not desperate for souls. In this, God demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinful and dark, And damned, Christ died for us. Who would go to such lengths to provide the sacrifice that would wash sinful man clean? One might almost say of God, God, you're out of your mind. But no, his thoughts are high and above our thoughts. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. His understanding is far beyond our understanding. It's we who need to start thinking right. It's we who sometimes become besides ourselves. Are you going to have a New Year's resolution? Can I throw this one out? Lead someone to Christ this year. Lead someone to become a follower of Jesus, a student of Christ, a reader of the Bible, an attender at church, someone who attends, someone who questions, someone who learns, someone who prays for help. It's going to go, it's challenging. I want to encourage you, use the tools that you see Christ using in the Gospels. He uses people's homes. He uses dinner tables. He uses heartfelt conversations. He uses 
a time sitting together at a well. These are the tools that Christ uses, and they are tools that you have available to you. Do your laundry at the laundromat once in a while. And go to somebody and say, hey, can I help you fold those blankets? And start sharing with them who you are and what Christ did for you. Sit down next to somebody at the laundromat and say, how can I help you? I want to help you. I want to help you believe. Use the things that Christ used. Use the tools, the places. I understand that at the bus stop, you say, you know, Jesus loves you. It's pretty hard to get very far. About as far as you can get there with somebody is saying the sinner's prayer. And that might be the momentous turning point of that person's life when they say the sinner's prayer with you at the bus stop. But in my close to 50 years of experience as a Christian, not very often. It's not a great way to go. It's not the way that really works. That person is just going to drift off into no place and nothing. What they need is to be led to Christ, to learning. They need relationship. They need uh, confidence. They need to realize not only how much you know, they need to know how much you love. Amen? O Lord, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, every one of us, that we could win souls for you, that we could lead people to you, be used of you in this endeavor, that it would really be you, O God, working through us. You, O God, working through us in a marvelous and a wonderful way. In the name of Jesus, amen.